0: It's to see everyone this evening, but, um,
1: because we've had, because it's been slightly complicated by my absence last Wednesday, this is just to uh, let you know that what we're doing this evening is Session 4. Um, and just to resume what we've already done, it's Sessions 1 and 2 were on the Gospels, the, account, the post-resurrection accounts in the Gospels. Session 3 was on Paul, looking particularly at 1 Corinthians 15. Um, if, if any of you weren't able to come to the Paul session, uh, because the Wednesday morning is now running a week behind, um, you ha- do you have a chance to catch Paul tomorrow morning at, what? Well, catch that Paul after the <laughs> I'm totally confused now. Catch St. Paul at 11.15 tomorrow morning.
2: Absolutely,
1: St. Paul at 12.15. But but if you need to go before that, just... Um, uh, Christy I think is going to go at about 12 so so you're welcome to come and leave when you have to Um, but if anybody missed any (laughs) sessions there are copies of of the handouts and this evening I'll be giving out two handouts Uh, one which covers um, what I'm going to be talking about but another one which really is just some um, rather than like a, a book list it is some extracts from one or two books and and if you were paying attention in previous weeks I put out some different books this week because we're going to be looking at things in a slightly different way this week Um, we've really been kind of doing what I would describe as some intensive Bible study in the first three sessions we've been looking at the post resurrection accounts in the Gospels we've been looking at them in the context of the rest of the individual Gospels and to a certain extent On the synopsis, you can compare uh, how the individual writers dealt with um, specific uh, appearances and things. And then, last week, we were looking at what Paul had to say, remembering that Paul was the first of the writers. He was the earliest New Testament writer. He was writing before the Gospels were written down. And Paul was therefore um, really uh, talking about something which was, was very fresh, very new and therefore he felt the need to do quite a lot of unpacking of some of the ideas behind the resurrection and we covered a lot of that by working our way through 1 Corinthians 15. This week's going to be a bit different. The heading of the session is transformation then, transformation now. And it's all about what can we learn from the resurrection? having done this biblical study and how can we apply that to our lives uh, 2,000 years later? What what difference does the resurrection make or what difference can the resurrection make in our Christian lives? Uh, We're not going to address that head on to begin with because we're going to uh, reflect a little bit more on what the resurrection was all about. In the first session, you may recall that um, I asked people the sort of questions that they had about the Resurrection. And um, we had various questions then about, well, you can see here, authenticity, uh, Galilee versus Jerusalem, um, the question of the recognition of Jesus in the, the appearances what kind of body, and then why no account of the resurrection itself. Uh, to a certain extent, we, we've been talking about authenticity throughout, and we'll, we'll kind of touch on that to a certain extent tonight. Um, we had to leave the question of Galilee versus Jerusalem uh, unsolved <coughs> because um, various gospel writers give us uh, <coughs> insights into different appearances in different places. We touched a little bit upon recognition, but again, we'll come back to that this evening uh, to a certain extent. We talked about what kind of a body in our conclusion to the Gospel accounts, and again last week, um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, spends quite a lot of time talking about the nature of the resurrection body. What we haven't done, and what I've been saving up till this week, is... Why is there no account of the resurrection itself? Not just that question, but, but what, what does the resurrection mean? <laughs> so, a good place to start, perhaps, is, is also to go back to the scene that I set in the first week, before we started looking at the Gospel accounts. And I set the scene by what happened on Good Friday. Um, the events leading up to and the event of the crucifixion itself. And one reason for doing that is that uh, the whole Christian <coughs> idea is based on um, the crucifixion on the one hand and the resurrection on the other. Those are the two uh, kind of essential events um, at the end of Jesus's life. and. Um, both Paul in his writings and in most of the other New Testament writings, the the resurrection is assumed. Sometimes they talk about uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection together. Sometimes they are are kind of put in opposition to one another. um, But they're always there together. If there had been no resurrection, and we covered a bit of this last week, then Jesus um, would simply be a, a great teacher, Uh, a wise man, uh, a charismatic healer, but ultimately he would have been deluded. He would have been deluded when he said all those things about himself in relation to God, if simply he had died and been buried. Um, He would still have been a a good man and someone who would have left us a kind of heritage of of, um, all those things that he did in his earthly life but there wouldn't be the ultimate um, witness uh, to the power of God in his resurrection. So, for Christians, everything are at stake. And I started off session one by reading you verse 17 from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, If there is no resurrection, Paul wrote to the Christian church at Corinth, your faith is futile. So, to a, a considerable degree, everything is at stake. Paul is in no doubt that Jesus was raised from the dead, and he was in no doubt that he died on the cross. And when we say creeds in church, for example, we say, um, I believe um, various things about Jesus and that he was uh, crucified for our sake under Pontius Pilate, uh, and he uh, suffered." Uh, died and was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, etc. Um, the two things are there, but the kind of the way that they're related in the creed doesn't perhaps um, emphasise as much a sort of discontinuity between between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And there are lots of different ways of um, describing that. Um, one of the one of the books that I've got here, which I have had before, is this: "Is this uh, The Way of Jesus Christ" by Jürgen Moltmann. And um, on the on the um, uh, readings that I'm going to give you is is a piece where he says and he talks about um, about how uh, the crucifixion is something that happened in kind of historical time. It was it was like all the other historical events that we could, if we'd been there, we could have seen and uh, to an extent participated in. The resurrection, he suggests, happened in, in God's time. And one of the questions we had last week, I think from Hugh, was about, or from Keith, was, was something to do with uh, different dimensions of time. And this picture that I've got here, on the right, the big picture. Um, I think it's quite helpful in, in helping us understand that. Um, but before we do that, let's, let's just remind ourselves of, of, of kind of conventional pictures of, of the Resurrection. And um, you'll remember this one, the stained glass window from, in a way, stained glass window from, from Ethiopia. Uh, here we've got um, um, Jesus stepping out of a Renaissance tomb uh, no cave or anything like that there, um, here we have a kind of cave in the background, but again he's on, he's on sort of terra firma, he's still walking around uh, on the earth, here he's sort of um, floating, um, emphasising that something, something different has happened, but, but I think, and this is one of the reasons this is the largest one, is because I think this is really um, very interesting, this was, this was an engraving by Dura of um, 1510 or 1511, so 500 years old. Uh, and what you can see here in this, in this part of the picture is kind of what was happening on Earth at this time. Uh, here we've got, we've got this, is, this is the best soldier in the world, I think, kind of completely out of it, really, snoring, apparently. Um, and the other soldiers here in, in the foreground and, and everything kind of quite quite uh, dark and then there's this sort of there's this B shape of clouds and the suggestion that uh, Jesus resurrected is, is somehow in a different place from simply on this earth um, there he is with, with his uh, cross on the flag and um, symbol of blessing but, but most importantly it's as if uh, Dura was trying to uh, convince us that this is indeed something quite different from what was going on in in the plane of of normal time. Um, So that's just something you might find you might find a helpful representation. Some people don't find pictures at all helpful. Some people will read all sorts of different things perhaps into that picture. Um, But while while we're with Jura. Um, there's also this one, which, which I think starts to take us into what, what might the resurrection have been like if anybody had been there to see it. This is actually, this is called the Holy Trinity, and there uh, in his uh, robes and with his crown is God the Father, uh, and there's the Holy Spirit kind of hovering over it. And here is the dead Christ, you may kind of recognise that stance from, from <coughs> pictures of um, uh, Jesus' body being taken down from the cross um, but what is clear, and you can have a look at it afterwards, uh, what, what is clear is the kind of way in which the sort of shaping of God the Father uh, and the intimacy with, with uh, Jesus the Son um, albeit that he still appears to be a dead uh, a dead corpse at that point, um, but, but sort of showing God's tenderness, God the Father's tenderness, God the Father's love for the son that he had had to give up on the cross. The son who he'd heard cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And who he could do nothing about. Uh, And kind of all of that uh, seems to be there. But I don't think even that quite shows it in the way that I think it might have been Um, and and I prefer this Um, this is this is William Blake and it's an engraving from the end of his um, poem Jerusalem the song of Jerusalem I don't even know that it's meant to be a picture of the resurrection I can't find anyone who can tell me uh, what it's meant to be, but it just seems to me that there the, may be a cave there behind the two figures. And here we've got, again, we've got God and we've got Jesus, and it is impossible, I think, to imagine them in a closer embrace, being more intimate. And the whole idea, the whole thing about that picture, which perhaps isn't quite so, um, quite so prominent, or if prominent at all, is is the fact that the, the, the kind of momentum seems to be up in this in this picture. And so I wonder, and um, I wonder whether the thing about the resurrection, the thing that it happened um, when no one was looking, if you like, is that because it was this point of the utmost intimacy between God the Father and God the Son, uh, something that really... We, it's difficult for us to uh, even imagine. And there's also something about the resurrection, perhaps, which is that that our words run out, that um, pictures might help, perhaps, um, we'll hear some music in a moment, which might help to an extent, but simply trying to write it down and to presume to know precisely what was going on seems to us... It seems to me to be beyond our capacity, either for words or perhaps to an extent uh, of our understanding. That's that's entirely a personal view, but it seems to me that there is something kind of holy and sacred um, and not only undisclosed, but undisclosable to an extent, which is why none of the Gospel writers wrote about it. They couldn't because there were no witnesses to it. And what we're left then in the post-resurrection accounts is, if you like, the effect of this. And um, having having said that, I I don't really want to dwell on the resurrection itself because I don't think, I can't, there's nothing more that I can say that I think is is going to help um, explain what's going on but what I do think is really important is, is perhaps to, to move from that to, um, to what for me is, is the most significant aspect of the resurrection, which is the effect that it had on the people who were there. And, uh, and, and that's where we begin to get into, well, what's the effect that it might have on us and um, if you, do you remember George Herbert's hymn, um, um, Teach Me My God and is how it starts? And, and, and I think it's the second verse. Is A man who looks on glass, on it may stay his eye. Or if he choose, I get a bit lost here. If uh, he pleases, through it pass, and then the heaven is spy. So the idea that, that we could spend a lot of time worrying about what the resurrection was like and how it happened and, and precisely the mechanics of it, or we can look through and beyond it to the effect that it had. Um, and that's what I'm going to do um, for the rest of this evening. And it seems to me that, that if we think about those first witnesses, the original disciples, that that um, that, that, that they were transformed, that, that that is the only word that you can apply to them. They they were what were they? on Good Friday. They were people who ran away. They were people who, who were too scared uh, to even acknowledge that they knew Jesus. And uh, suddenly, as a result of the resurrection, they became fearless people, people who, um, who would kind of proclaim the good news about Jesus, people who uh, ultimately would, would give their lives uh, for, for this man. Um, not only would they as individuals transform but the whole understanding of uh, what God how God reacted with, with people was changed no longer was it simply that the people of Israel the Jewish people were God's special people but that the followers of Jesus became the new Israel so the whole frame of reference shifted from a particular ethnic group to an availability of the message to everyone, whoever they were. Um, Our idea about history may have been changed too by by the fact that something extraordinary happened on the first Easter day and that in a sense there was a kind of fulfilment of what had gone before, the fulfilment of the prophecies. Jesus was raised according to the scriptures, uh, Paul wrote. Um, and then we kind of look forward. We, we're enabled, because of the resurrection, to look forward to our own resurrection. Um, and we'll be talking about that a bit more later. Uh, we talked last, last time about, about, in a sense, the earthly body, the, the body, the mortal body, the body that we're kind of wearing now as being earthbound. The resurrection body, perhaps, of, you know, in some sense, somehow, being heaven-bound, on its way to heaven. Um, up until that point, in the biblical accounts, the Holy Spirit was an occasional visitor. From then on, the Holy Spirit kind of infused everything that happened in the early church. Um, you know, at the time of baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon... People at the time of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came uh, and everything or much that Paul writes is in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so kind of everything that matters and perhaps a lot of the things that in the Christian faith we take for granted, all those things stem from this resurrection event. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just try and unfold a little bit about um, the answers to three terribly simple questions. What does the resurrection tell us about God? What does the resurrection tell us about Jesus? Uh, What does the resurrection tell us about the church? And what does the resurrection tell us about ourselves? Uh, I'm going to move quite quickly through the first three, not because I don't think they're terribly important, but because in that introduction, to a certain extent, I've touched on some of the things um, but if you want more, uh, there is a lot more detail that you can find in the handout. And in particular, if you want to look at some of the texts that support what I say, um, there, is a lot of, there is a lot of kind of referencing, uh, particularly, for example, to uh, what, the, what the first disciples were saying in the Book of Acts, um, references to others of Paul's writings other than 1 Corinthians 15 particularly in Romans where he deals a lot about uh, with a lot about the resurrection particularly in relation to baptism which we'll come back to um, so so what does the resurrection tell us about God and when we get to the end of this we'll have a, we'll have a kind of musical break so that you can relax uh, for a moment with, with a musical friend a friend that you've already heard once before in this series um, so what does the resurrection tell us about God? Well, it kind of I think it just transforms our perception of what God is like. If you think about the kind of stereotype in the Old Testament, the kind of God who who reigns and rules and gets angry and sends plagues and does all kind of suddenly we've got a God like this whatever this picture is, a God like this, a God who cares, a God who loves, a God who sent his Son. Uh, And many of the things that in our Christian faith we take for granted are things that you can find in the Old Testament, but they're not so easy to find as we find in Jesus' teaching, uh, his life and in all that he did. So, So that's another aspect of transformation. Our idea about God is is transformed uh, dramatically. You might like to reflect too on, on what was always a very powerful but disturbing story in the Old Testament about Abraham and Isaac, how God told Abraham that he had to sacrifice his son at the last moment. Whatever we think about the morality of the story, at the last moment God sent his angel to prevent Isaac being killed. With his own son God didn't intervene And I think that tells us something Tremendously important About the nature of God As revealed through the resurrection accounts (coughs) Uh, The other thing that was important for Paul Is that the resurrection of Jesus implies not just something for Jesus and his relationship with God, but something about God's plan. Uh, This is part of God's plan. Uh, It makes no sense if it was... Well, it just... There is no framework in which you can put it as a kind of spontaneous event where God reacted to something that was happening that makes any sense at all. It only makes any sense if it's part of a plan. And, And that plan in paul's view um, is that that jesus was the foot you remember the first fruits um the kind of model and exemplar of what the resurrection means for us so to the same in the same way that that god raised jesus so god will raise us Uh, again a message which you would you would have difficulty finding Uh, to any serious extent in the Old Testament Um, having said all that and all that persuasive though that is we are we're kind of still left with a sort of residue aren't we things about God that we don't fully understand I've talked about, I've kind of done some speculation about the moment of the resurrection itself, um, by means of these pictures, um, but kind of what, what, was, what was going on, if this was a moment of intimacy, in what way did that uh, kind of deal with, if you like, uh, Jesus' death on, on the cross. Um, we've got the question of kind of precisely how the resurrection body works. Paul is quite clear that it's a physical body but a physical body in a different sense from our existing mortal bodies being physical. Uh, So so we don't quite understand that. That's one of the mysteries that God perhaps has kept for himself or perhaps to keep us guessing, to keep us engaged with this subject so that we we can't pretend that we are so clever that we know everything. I think too there's something about there's something significant in the fact that that the gospel writers don't write about the resurrection. They didn't speculate about that, and therefore that sets it apart from everything else that they were willing to write about. Um, but then there's all the, the the gospel accounts. However you try and uh, kind of conform them to one another uh, and harmonise them, there's still something. That is kind of what what could we call it? Sort of fragmentary about the gospel accounts. It doesn't it doesn't work in the same way that the accounts of the Passion and the Resurrection uh, the, the Passion and the Crucifixion work as a sort of detailed narrative over hours of time. These there are, there are kind of uncertainties in the resurrection accounts, both as to timing, as to place, as to um, what Jesus could <coughs> and couldn't do, and the fact that he wasn't recognised sometimes, the fact that he, could, with it, he had this physical body, but that he was apparently able to appear in a locked room, uh, all those things. There's, there's, there is still remaining mystery, isn't there? And I think that mystery says something about, well, whatever we try and do, we cannot fully comprehend God and God's purposes. What we can see is through Jesus what God has in store for us. Um, So, to that extent, God leaves us a bit vulnerable, I think, because we want to believe that the brains that he's given us are capable of understanding all of this, making sense of it all, of eventually uh, if you like, making a mental list which comes down to the, you know, the, the, the final three letters, Q, E, D. Thus it's been demonstrated. But I don't think he gives us that luxury. And one of the reasons that he may not have done that is to remind us that once we believe that we know everything and we can work everything out from ourselves, then there is no need for faith. And faith and trust is a similar word is is really important and it kind of in the relationship that I think God wants to have with us his creatures that he here clearly had with Jesus it was a relationship of trust Jesus went to the cross trusting that that was God's purpose for him and if that was good enough for Jesus then it's kind of certainly good enough for me but in another way it's not quite good enough and so we just or at least I need to keep wrestling with all of these things because there is no QED in that sense so I said we were going to hear an old friend didn't I, but actually we are going to hear a new friend first um, we haven't had anything from Brahms have we? So we we'll have a little bit of Rams. Rams is German, right, um, Obviously, as in German, which, which, um, well, that puts some of us at an advantage, doesn't it? Because we know what's being said. Others of us haven't got a clue. But, but this is um, this is covering some of the ground that we had from Messiah last week. And we're going to we're going to start um, really where. Uh, it leads into, in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed <laughs> then shall we be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory O death, where is thy sting, O grave, where is thy victory um, and, and if you like Brahms then um, I'll stop it too early, if you don't like Brahms then it'll go on too long, but then I can Okay. questions about the extent to which Brahms was a Christian or not when he was writing that music, and yet kind of giving us an an idea about the kind of spectacular nature of the way in which sin and death have been destroyed. So what does the resurrection tell us about Jesus? Um, And in a way, a lot of what we've talked about in, in, uh, in relation to God the Father, is relevant uh, in relation to Jesus. Uh, and I'm not going to repeat that. Um, there is something, I think, about the, the obedience of Jesus and the way in which that seems to have kind of extended beyond the grave. Um, uh, God had this plan which involved um, involved raising Jesus from the dead um, and it seems quite clear that um, once that had happened then, then Jesus was once again sort of fitting in with God's plan um, the, these appearances and uh, the way that he talks about or he talked previously about kind of going back to the Father the way that the resurrection leads on to the ascension again uh, kind of make it all part of God's plan and Jesus fitting in with it um, both sides of death Uh, but I think the most important thing for me about about what the resurrection tells us about Jesus is that by raising him from the dead God is kind of absolutely guaranteeing everything that we know about Jesus in his earthly life as being valid Um, uh, if you like uh, God vindicates all that Jesus was through this act of raising him up. So, so when the religious leaders considered Jesus to be blasphemous, for example, when he, when he forgave sins, something that only God could do, as they were very quick to point out, uh, when he challenged the law of the Old Testament and, and said that he was the fulfilment of the law, uh, getting close to blasphemy again... Uh, when he entered Jerusalem and and cleansed the temple, another kind of close to blasphemous event. Um, And when he talked about the Son of Man, in other words, him, uh, at his trial, sitting at the right hand of God and coming in glory, God has said, yes, all of that is right. Uh, And so I think the resurrection is this tremendous affirmation And again, it's something that in a way as Christians we sort of take for granted because every Sunday we hear about Jesus' life in our Gospel reading and we think, oh well, yeah, that's good. Uh, And then kind of, oh well, we might get a sermon on that. Then on with the next. Um, and, And yet, it could so easily have been different. The religious leaders, those who felt that Jesus was all wrong, Appeared to have got the upper hand when they had him crucified by the Romans and God is saying no that's not right he was right and um, so that seems to me to be the reason that, that we can't fail to take Jesus in, in the Gospels as seriously as we as we do um, so so in a way, uh, that overrides pretty much everything else. Though there are a few other ideas that you can you can look at in the handout. Um, what does the resurrection tell us about the church? And when I talk about the church, I don't I don't mean just this church, this church building. I don't mean the church building at all. I mean this church. But I don't just mean that. I mean if you think about the, this wonderful picture of the church down the ages, in all its inadequacies and flaws and False turnings and all those things, but but the faithful witness of people down the ages to the truth of Jesus Christ. What does what does the resurrection tell us about the church? Um, well, as I've said, for Paul at least, and and therefore for the churches he founded, and it became to be the case for all the churches that without the cross and the resurrection, there is no gospel. Um, What I think is helpful is to think about what Luke tells us in his Gospel and and in Acts about uh, the way that things happened. So if we start at the crucifixion, there's lots more in Luke's Gospel, as you know, but let's start at the crucifixion. There's the crucifixion and then the burial, the burial that makes the death on the cross absolutely certain. That's followed by the resurrection, which is followed by the appearances, and then by the ascension. Um, what happens after that? Well, there is there is worship and waiting. <clears throat> the church has always kind of done worshipping. It's not always been quite so willing to do the waiting bit. Um, and then there's Pentecost. And at Pentecost, the church was born out of, um, really, the birth pangs of the new creation, you could say. That's another phrase from Maltman, who, who is a good theologian, but but not always the easiest of reads. Um, you know, there's a picture there of, of the church. We are God's new creation, um, and as significant as the old creation that we, we read about uh, at the beginning of Genesis. Uh, this is what Maltman says, not in that book, but in another one, uh, The Church and the Power of the Spirit. Fellowship with Christ in the Spirit is the fellowship of Christ's sufferings and the fellowship of his death. But in being this, it is also at the same time the fellowship of his resurrection through newness of life and participation through hope in his life in glory. So, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an idea from Paul, isn't it? We share in one thing, we share in, we share in the suffering, but also we share... In the hope, <clears throat> surprised by hope, is Tom Wright's book, which doesn't just deal with the resurrection, but which is, which is kind of unfolds much more than that. Um, and so, the resurrection is is to do with hope, um, and and central to everything that happens in the church is is the Holy Spirit. Um, but I want to go back really and I want to give you another series of things in relation to, to the disciples because I touched on it, the transformation of the disciples being for me um, the most significant and compelling aspect of the resurrection. But, but let, me just, let me just take you through that bit that I sketched out in a little bit of detail. Let me just take you through kind of about 10 steps in the way that this transformation worked. So So they started off as kind of unlearned people really um, I mean the, there is nothing to suggest at all that, that fishermen had to have a even a GCSE in fishing um, or in nature conservation or whatever you would need to get nowadays um, they they weren't they weren't the obvious people to go to if you were wanting to set up uh, a new uh, a new religious movement um, and then we hear, don't we, so much in the Gospels about how they were failures. How they never understood what Jesus was doing or saying. How their faith fell short. Um, and they were, they were constantly being told off. Then, as I said earlier, on Good Friday, not only that, not only were they kind of, uh, did, did, was the negative criticism of the things they did, but then they ran away. Their positive action was to run away. Um, And yet, through all of that, they were witnesses. They were witnesses to the events leading up to um, the crucifixion. They were witnesses before that to the way that Jesus was uh, on earth. They were witnesses to him in the post-resurrection account. And and last time, I was focusing on this idea of witnesses, how important that was uh, in the early church, and how that was part of the proclamation of the disciples at Pentecost and thereafter... And so they were witnesses throughout, before and after the resurrection. Uh, But there was an important stage then that had to take place. And remember the story from the Gospels about about Peter being restored by Jesus, particularly in John. Uh, They needed to be reinstated. And at the end of all the Gospels, except Mark, there is some form of commissioning. They're sent out inadequate though they may have proved to have been they are still sent out to preach and carry forward uh, the gospel uh, and um, so after the, the commissioning and here we go back really to reliance on, on Luke's writing in Acts but but they continue to worship God in the temple, they didn't immediately say oh we must have some new liturgy we must have our common worship no they stuck with what they knew which was the temple in Jerusalem, and they worshipped God. But, but soon after that, they kind of got their, literally they got their inspiration, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they started preaching. And when they started preaching, the natural leaders emerged. Peter, this terribly kind of hopeless individual, really, who'd done so many bad things, put his foot in it so many times with Jesus, suddenly became the leader of Uh, this new movement. And from the leadership, then mission. Mission particularly, well, Peter himself started the mission to the Gentiles. It was Peter who had the vision about going to the Gentiles, but Paul who seemed to carry that through to its ultimate conclusion. And and ultimately, being prepared to give up their lives and the, the tradition that both Peter and Paul and most of the other disciples were martyred for their faith uh, and even if they weren't, it's certainly true that the well-documented early Christian martyrs um, uh, kind of the, the whole it wasn't seen as a, a, a terrible thing. it was just seen as well that's a short cut to get to be with Jesus. Uh, and unpleasant though it might have been at the time, it was just that it was a quick movement towards, the glory that lay ahead. Uh, And and it inspired those who were were left behind. And um, if you think about it, if you think about it in, in a current context, it is difficult, isn't it, to for secular powers for whom the threat of death is the ultimate deterrent they think, it's difficult for secular powers to deal with people who say, Okay, kill me. Don't mind, kill me. And there's something in that, isn't there, in our kind of comfortable world that we live in where it's, it's kind of almost abhorrent to say that because we think life is so sacred, and in a sense it is. And yet, and yet if it comes to it, um, this is where the, where the church was born. So now it is time for an old friend. Um, and um, just a, a short... Piece from the B minor Mass by Bach, and um, I, what I think is really interesting about this is we had a little bit from the Creed before, didn't we? When we when we contrasted the um, the, the bit in the Creed, uh, Latin, of course, um, about Jesus being being um, uh, crucified under Pontius Pilate, died, and was buried, and then et resurrects, it. on the third day he rose again. And, and the, the huge difference in everything relating to the music that Bach has put those, those very plain words to. Here, when we get to the bit about... Um, and I look for the resurrection of the dead. Et expecto resurrectionem mortuorum. Um, he spends several minutes on this. And, and what I think is fascinating is that at the beginning... When it starts, it's very, very tentative. It's almost as though, well, okay, that's what the creed says, and so, well, let's sing it. But um, it's difficult to believe. And then there's a point at which it changes from that to wholehearted acceptance, and and the music kind of becomes like the Et Resurrexit music. Um, And I think that is really interesting that you would start off with the et uh, et expecto Resurrectionem mortuorum as not a kind of jubilant um, chorus, but as something which is, as I said, really quite tentative, But, but you'll form your own view, obviously. So I know that I kind of um, told you what was going to happen, but but didn't it seem to sort of go on? And 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 I was thinking, even though I knew that it was it was going to come in the end, uh, you know how <laughs> how is all this happening? And 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 it may be that this is actually not a bad picture for what we might feel ourselves about the resurrection. We might we might think, in spite of um, all that I've said, that okay, well at uh, one level we can kind of cope with all that but, but but in another way I'm still having difficulty with it and maybe it, it, it is that there will come a day when suddenly the music changes because it seems to me that once, we, once we've learnt all we can from what's in the Bible and from what we might read or what we might hear um, that there is a point when we can uh, kind of decide well. This is going to make a difference to our lives, or or it's not. If it is going to make a difference to our lives, then the difference that it makes, I think, will be like, you know, that repeated resurrectionem, resurrectionem towards the end there, where where kind of above the instruments, that that word was kind of repeated again and again. Um, I've got a picture, you won't be able to see it to you'll we'll have to come and look at it afterwards. This is, um, this is Stanley Spencer, uh, The Resurrection of the Dead. Um, it's not one of his Cookham pictures, this is in the um, Sander Memorial Chapel, which is somewhere up on the downs, uh, where he decorated the whole, the whole chapel. And this is, this is the East Wall, and the culmination of it. And you can see all these crosses being kind of just like uh, sticks thrown aside um, it's, it, it's also, not only can you not see it from there but it's not a terribly good reproduction but, but you can see, you can see the bodies coming back to life um, and just an idea of, of uh, again, you know, how, how do we understand what, what our resurrection might be like, well we probably can't and yet, if the resurrection of Jesus is worth something then for sure our resurrection is going to be uh, worth something too. And um, kind of worth something, you know what I mean. It's, it's kind of um, transformative to us in the same way that it's transformative to those who were around at the time of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, so um, if we just think about... Some of the things that the biblical accounts of the resurrection, the post-resurrection appearances, what we've talked about of the resurrection itself, what that might mean, then um, I think I think the first thing to to take from it is that Jesus is our model. What God did for Jesus, God will do for us. Uh, he is the first fruits. Um, that that kind of strange word, but I keep coming back to it because it seems to me just the ideal way of describing uh, how Jesus is in relation to how how, uh, we can be. And and what that means is if Jesus is the first fruit and we are those that come after, then just as Jesus was, perhaps in more literal terms, the son of God, so we are also children of God. And, um, you know, Paul, it was only in... um, only the other day that we were hearing Paul, Paul read in church about about how if, we're, uh, if, if we're, we're no longer slaves but we've got a part through Jesus and through his resurrection uh, a part in the estate. We are heirs and we're not any longer under the govern, governance of trustees and things. We are children in in our own right and therefore we can inherit uh, we are we are entitled to claim what Jesus uh, on the cross and what God through the resurrection uh, has offered us uh, and the other thing that I think that it reminds us of um, and although this this is more if we were doing a series on you know what does the cross mean um the idea about Jesus in in some way taking our sins upon him and offering those up to God on the cross, and as a result of that, our slates being wiped clean. Um, but beyond that, the idea about sin and death no longer kind of holding us in thrall. Like those early martyrs, it's not; it, those aren't the worst things that can happen to us. The worst thing can happen to us is being separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ but there are other ideas that the resurrection might provoke in us and and in this book uh, Story Journey by a chap with the wonderful name of Thomas E. Boomershine (laughs) who, um, who kind of almost invented that The idea of uh, telling the biblical stories and, and simply by memorizing them and speaking them. But, but in memorizing and speaking them, he took them into himself and he found, and any of us who've done that will have found too, that when you memorize something and then when you try and relay, relay it to others, you, the story becomes part of you. you. And you become part of the story. Uh, and so, again, it's a, very, uh, it's a very dramatic way to do things. Um, it's perhaps a little bit specialist, because uh, memorizing Bible stories is not the easiest thing for us to do um, if we want to be faithful to, to the words in the Bible, but, but, but it can be done. But, but here, he, he and some people from his church uh, were going through a bad time. <laughs> and uh, they went away on a a day away and he thought well if we just focus on the resurrection then I'm sure that God will send us a a message during this so they they did a bit what we've been doing they kind of inspected the post-resurrection accounts in the Gospels and and they talked about the issues for them and at the end of the day uh, he says um, and nothing happened or nothing seemed to happen Um, And they were just packing up to go. And um, one of the other people, he said this to one of the other. He said, well, I'm sorry that nothing's happened today. And one of the other people said, well, haven't you noticed how peaceful it's been today? And so what he writes is this. Peace, that is the spirit of the resurrection. The stories are all quiet. The spirit of the resurrection stories is a spirit of peace. Angels in a tomb with a message, Jesus appearing and saying, peace be with you. Conversation and communion on the road to Emmaus, telling and listening to the stories, had made clear the spirit of the mystery of the resurrection and the character of life after death. Peace. And the stories had transformed our grief and conflict into a measure of peace and community. So... There's another possible uh, way in which the resurrection accounts may affect us. So far, all our focus has been on events, hasn't it? It's tonight we've talked a bit about the event, as far as we can understand it, of the resurrection itself. Previous weeks we've been talking about the events of the appearances. Um, But there's another way of thinking about things which which is entirely different. And we start off finding this in the Bible, in Paul's writings. And that's, that's, um, and it may be that for some this is another, this is perhaps a better way even, of connecting with the resurrection. And that is its use as metaphor. In other words, um, using the resurrection to explain other things. And I already mentioned earlier, the, uh, the example, and perhaps the best example of metaphor uh, which Paul gives us, which is baptism. In Romans chapter 6, uh, this is what he says. Uh, this is chapter 6, um, verse, beginning at verse 2. Uh, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we shall certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Um, and, and so the idea... and. In fact, I talked a bit about this on Sunday. The, fact, the idea of baptism being, being a sign of um, the move from death, in other words, the walking down into the waters, is like dying with Christ. Uh, and then the walking up out of the waters after baptism is like rising with him again. And uh, that as a, as a way of kind of appropriating for ourselves at baptism all that the resurrection Means um, Paul gives other other examples. Uh, the, I- the whole idea about about conversion of becoming a Christian uh, at the beginning of um, Galatians chapter two. Um, I'm not going to read that, but you can you can look that up. Another metaphor uh, metaphor 2 in 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 living in the spirit uh, again in Romans eight uh, and the, the idea about eth- ethical or holy living. Um, These are are just some ways in which Paul uses the idea of the resurrection to apply to issues that we confront in our daily lives. And how, uh, to put it in a nutshell almost, kind of everything that's bad is embraced by the crucifixion. And we can set against that all that is life affirming, all that we have access to through Jesus, and the power of the resurrection in all that's all that's good. And so this idea about what God has done for Jesus in the resurrection is available to us and it's there for us to to uh, kind of take for ourselves, to appropriate. It's there for us if we want it. Of course we can always turn down the offer. Um, and kind of another way, another, another kind of uh, way that this could be but that I thought was really quite powerful, is in this book. You'll know Gene Robinson because he's controversial. He's a gay bishop in Massachusetts. Um, This has nothing to do um, with that subject at all, Uh, although much of this book is about uh, the issues that his sexuality has had uh, for him in his role, first as a pastor and then as a bishop. But uh, I'm going to read you an extract which explains how the idea of resurrection can be applied uh, in everyday life. I'm not suggesting for a moment that we suffer from the issue that he had and and he talks here about uh, issues relating to alcoholism but I think you can see through the way that he describes it how again it might be a way that we could use this kind of brilliant um, this brilliant idea to make us, what should we call ourselves, Easter people? Sometimes we do. He writes, I believe in resurrection because I have experienced it. Encountering a stone in my life that I could not remove on my own, surrendering to a God whose power can move stones and mountains, and then receiving the life God wants for me, is resurrection. A couple of years ago, I took part in a treatment programme for alcoholism and emerged into a new life of sobriety. During treatment, I was told that abstaining from alcohol was the easy part. The hard part, the expert said, was learning to live a truly sober and conscious life, grateful for the, to the God who makes it possible. Easy enough to say, pretty tough to do. Every single day, one day at a time, I have to do as those women did on that cold Easter morning, look up, And see and believe that the stone has already been rolled back. Surrendering to the truth and power of the resurrection means embracing the knowledge that there is no good excuse anymore for letting those stones get in the way. The stone has been rolled back and now the hard work of living a resurrected life begins for each of us. Living our lives in that truth means doing courageous and mighty things in Jesus' name. Surrendering to the resurrection means letting go of all the anxiety and fear that can so easily grip us and leave us powerless, and experiencing the joy of the resurrected life. So I find that quite a moving way of someone explaining through their own experience uh, how they find the resurrection as a metaphor Uh, transformative and how it helps them to understand and um, to make their lives better uh, as witnesses to Jesus there's another book here which has been very influential it was written nearly 40 years ago called true resurrection by Harry Williams and the whole book is really about where we can Perceive resurrection to be in our lives, um, the ways in which resurrection as an idea is manifested, um, and how it stands in contradiction to all the things that kind of drag us down, all the sort of cross-related things, the sin, uh, and and the tendency uh, for us to look on the gloomy side, and and just when we hear about violence when we hear about brutality and mistreatment of children there is a terrible tendency for us to get sucked down and it's not that these things aren't bad they are terrible and yet Jesus' resurrection holds out for the whole world something much greater and better than that and and this book um talks about it in various different ways. Resurrection and the body, resurrection and mind, resurrection and goodness, um, resurrection and suffering. And I think there's just... I've been kind of wrestling with this. I think there is, there is a danger, perhaps, of that approach, that it somehow trivialises all this, all this that we've been talking about that oh it's good so that's a resurrection thing oh it's bad so that's a cross thing Um, it's not that at all I think it is if our mindset is that through this resurrection God has done something for Jesus which we can have then that ought to make a difference to the way that we think about life nothing is beyond God's power and if we're followers of his then so much more is not beyond our power so, as I said earlier, I think if we kind of began to summarize or just to refer back to one or two things, um, the resurrection will never, in my view, be kind of known and understood through scientific proof. But the resurrection can be known whether we do it through these ideas of metaphor, whether we do it through the study of the scriptures and reflection on what that might mean for us, uh, whether we might do it by um, uh, sort of trying to apply Paul's teaching in our lives, or or however we do it, there is an ingredient called faith without which uh, I think none of it will be of great value. Um, but that faith is available, and it's available to us in a kind of every everyday experience that we have. It's not just something to be kept pulled out. Well, when we go to church, we'll be Easter people, and then, and then we'll, be going, we'll, go back to, we'll go back to being um, uh, Good Friday people, although uh, you may know Sheila Cassidy um, and the, her horrendous experiences that she suffered in Chile and the others that she knew suffered in Chile. And her book, Good Friday People, um, you know, makes me um, uh, feel that to use that those words really is is not appropriate because it speaks so much of suffering. Uh, and yet, beyond, above all, you know, out of all that came a kind of huge, huge faith and, and an ability to speak to God's love even in the kind of, almost impossibly dire circumstances that she and so many people were in, in Chile, in, um, I think, the 1970s. Uh, but, but you know what I mean. The, this is not, the resurrection is not just a kind of, well, it's something that happens, you know, something affects our church lives. It's, it's for everything. And the idea about uh, kind of having that and being able to take advantage of it is something hugely empowering, uh, is my view. But ignore me and listen instead to Jesus. I am the resurrection and I am life. He who believes in me will live and even though he dies, uh, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And, And elsewhere he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And my belief is that that fullness of life is assured to us because of the resurrection. Well, we have, we'll have some time for discussion in a moment, but, but I just want to remind you of, of the aim that I set out for these sessions. And that was, I hope that everybody would go home with perhaps one thing that they'd sort of learnt, one thing that had kind of stuck in their brains, a fact or some information from the Bible that they'd never that never really struck them before. But beyond that, I hope that also, uh, and if they only had to have one, would, I'd much rather they had this one, that something, something uh, had gone into their heart, that they had taken something to heart from what we've been talking about, that the resurrection is not simply... A matter of speculation and interest and fascination but that it is something um, which is which kind of affects us and which affects our faith so so I hope that those things uh, may be there um, and that somehow or other um, that uh, together our faith uh, may have been enhanced by Um, What I know is kind of hard going, really, because I've been, I know I've been speaking too much, and yet uh, there was too, I I didn't know how to stop, really, because there's just so much that I think is, is, is worth sharing. So, now I'm going to ask you if you, if you want to say anything, if you wouldn't mind using this, uh, because then it will go all being well on the recording. So, does anybody want to make a comment about this evening or about anything else that we've, um, we've explored in the previous weeks or anything that remains Yeah. You,
0: you said uh, that Peter was the leader of the early church. <coughs> um, have I remembered right when um, some people think that Mark's gospel was... Peter's got um, preaching written
1: down. And yeah, you have remembered right. That is that is the tra- that is the traditional view of Mark's gospel that uh, that it came from Peter. Is is there a follow on from that? Is, <laughs> you, do you want to say hey,
0: so? <laughs> no, well I think that uh, you know that that means that he was the first gospel. And it came from the leader, yeah. and, and so it came from the very centre of the church. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I don't think there's a great, a great insight about uh, the resurrection or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, it's probably yeah, what, what Peter was saying.
1: Yeah.
2: Do you think that there's there's some um, relationship between the resurrection and the raising of Lazarus from the dead? if if you think about it, there were a lot of people around that tomb when Lazarus was raised, and the shock and the horror of it to see a, a man coming out and they'd known had been dead for three three days, as opposed to the child that was only sleeping that was mm-hmm. raised. Um, If you think about it, if it had been witnessed, would that person have actually been able to survive and to take that tremendous um, apparition, as it were, and then go on and go back to the disciples? I I don't think it would have been possible. But if you actually think of the raising of Lazarus, which there is only one mention of it, and he's never talked about again, um, whereas this is slightly different. I'm not sure what point I'm making but somewhere along the line I think that the raising of Lazarus was also related to this but I don't know how
1: um, well to the extent that it was a raising then um, clearly it's uh, yeah um, I, I think there are, there, there are one or two points that I could make but I'm not sure that I can answer the question that you haven't asked <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, no, I, don't, I, don't I, I mean I think
1: I think what I think what we would assume is that the, the big distinction between um, Jesus' resurrection and the other resurrection accounts in the Gospel is that that those others who were raised from the dead, whatever else happened, they died. Jesus didn't die, Jesus Jesus went back to God, ascended, if you like, um, and that was part of God's plan. So, so I think there is, there is a kind of difference in, in nature. Um, the other point, which you did refer to, is that um, if you think about different traditions, if you think about the way in which the gospel accounts don't agree, then clearly there were different strands of tradition which were reflected in those gospel accounts, and, and scholars talk about the way in which um, there is multiple attestation. In other words, on your synopsis, you've got five five headings, and because they don't appear uh, greatly to overlap, you could argue that perhaps Matthew is particularly dependent on Mark, Um, but you've got got kind of multiple witnesses to the event of Jesus' resurrection. In the case of Lazarus, you've simply got John's account. Um, that doesn't mean, and I wouldn't say for a moment that John's account is not right, but um, I think we could have greater certainty about the resurrection of Jesus uh, for that reason. But, but we get into difficult waters if we say, oh well, because it's only in one Gospel, it never happened. Anything else? Any, anybody... Anybody kind of brave enough to share anything that they might have learnt or anything that has gone to their heart? This is, well, you obviously don't have to respond to this, but but it would be, it might be interesting. But a step too far, obviously. (laughs) Well, let me. So, so, you've got a handout. You've got another handout, which, which which is kind of broadly covers the same ground as I've been speaking about, but in somewhat more detail. And as I said, with with Bible references, that uh, if you've ever got any spare time, you might you might like to look up because they're they're there. Because I think they add to the picture. But we, we would have been here all night if I'd read them all out. Um, but uh, what what have I got in this? Uh, kind of uh, quotations from some of these books uh, it's not really that they're, they're necessarily the only quotes in the books that are worth hearing but partly it was to give you an idea of how these writers write the style in which they write, so that if you're interested in, in uh, you know, getting a particular type of book this might give you an idea of what you were letting yourself in for um, though I have, for example, in relation to um, Rowan Williams's book, um, I have to <laughs> try to select something which is um, understandable um, <laughs> to the average person, <laughs> um, w- because not all of the book is. And um, but so that's 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 kind of what I'm giving. This isn't this isn't a comprehensive series of quotes, uh, but it does end up with what I think is one of the greatest um, Easter hymns. Love's redeeming work is done. And you might like to sing that. If you're going home on your own, you can obviously sing it in the car. <laughs> Those of you who are going home with others might feel somewhat inhibited, but let it play through yeah. in, in your mind. Because it always strikes me that within five short verses, it, it, it says a, a lot about the resurrection, which goes beyond the sort of, um, you know, the simple statement Jesus Christ is risen today. Um, so that's that's all there. And there's, finally, there is a prayer there. Which, in fact, why don't we why don't we finish with this prayer now? Almighty God, whose Son Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, raise us who trust in Him from the death of sin to the life of righteousness, that we may seek those things that are above, where He reigns with You in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God